is the Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News, a podcast in which we attempt to pull back the curtain on our reporting process while diving deeper into some of the biggest stories of the week. In this week's episode, we're talking about interesting figures in Las Cruces. Anita Rocket, for instance, is 69 years old. Nearly 50 years ago, she almost lost a leg in a boating accident. Since then, she's run countless marathons, and in June, she hopes to complete her first Ironman half triathlon. We'll talk to Sun News reporter Leah Romero, who has reported these stories for the newspaper. Florence Hamilton, who just turned 100 years old, is a great storyteller. She uses her talent to share black history. Newly established Las Cruces Lynn Barrett explores her personal battle with dissociative identity disorder in her new book, Crazy, Reclaiming Life from the Shadow of Traumatic Memory. Barrett, who's 74, arrived in Las Cruces in early March from her longtime home in upstate New York, a move made for closer proximity to children, grandchildren, and warm weather. Jenny Matzler of Las Cruces has collected dozens of medals during her years involved with Special Olympics in New Mexico. This summer, she'll get her first opportunity to compete during the national games in Orlando on the state's bocce team. David Hill, a Las Cruzan, recently summited Mount Kilimanjaro on his second attempt, three years after suffering a debilitating injury. They all have interesting stories to share. First, Leah, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Of course. Happy to be here. It's always fun. Let's start out by talking about your most recent hometown hero, Anita Rocket. Tell us about Anita's story. Yeah. So Anita reached out to me a while ago, actually, and um, she was wanting to share her story, which is so she was 19 years old. She's 69 now. And 
when she was 19, she was home in Southern Florida at the time. And it was just kind of a, a fun day on the lake for her and her, her younger brother and friends. Um, and they were water skiing and the boat engine went out. So she kind of ended up just sort of bobbing in the water for a while. And then a boat went by her and she realized how close it went and, you know, she needed to be visible. So she said she lifted up her skis and that was super lucky because then another boat came by and this one hit her. So it straight on hit her skis first. So kind of pushed her under and over so that when the propeller went over her, it hit her knee. So her right knee was pretty mangled. Oh. Um, yeah, it was um, definitely just hearing about it was was pretty intense. And I was just dead weight. I couldn't do anything. And my leg was just, oh, God. I, and I, I was just in terrible shock. I was helpless. So he was trying to pull me into the boat. And I was still conscious. I never lost consciousness, thank God, at that point. And by that time, my brother had come over to get me because it was just one man in the boat. And my brother helped shove me over the side of the boat. And he helped pull me in. So they took me to the other side of the shore, and in the meanwhile, his friend, I think, had gotten their boat engine started, and somehow or another got into a phone and called an ambulance, because there's no such thing as a cell phone in 1972. And an ambulance came, and they put me in the ambulance, and that's when I lost consciousness. I don't remember uh, really too much of the ambulance ride, but what was miraculous about it and this is the miracle of a body, is that I didn't bleed. I didn't bleed to death there in the water because your, your body, um, the, your blood vessels, when they go into shock, they apparently, this is the phenomenon of a body in shock, is that it just, the blood vessels just close themselves off. So I guess it keeps your body from bleeding to death. So she ended up almost actually losing her leg. It was, she said it was like almost severed at the knee. But, you know, she ended up at the hospital. The orthopedic surgeon that day was able to save her leg, put it back together. It took her months and months of physical therapy and, and you know, surgeries and everything um, to get to where she could walk again. And um, but she was able to walk again and she she is able to walk. Um, so flash forward 25 years and her son was joining the uh, cross country team. And so she was like, well, I'm, I'm going to start running, too. And kind of training said, with him. Yeah. So she started running and training and. On the actually 25th anniversary of almost losing her leg, she um, competed in her first full competition. So, yeah. And then so she's just been she's been running ever since. So flash forward another sort of 25 years and um, she is 69 now and her knee is uh, it's good now. But in 2020, she required a knee replacement. So she wasn't able to bend it um, and all of that. So she has a new knee. Um, she isn't able to run anymore, but she's taken up biking. Um, so she's still super active, still training. Um, she hasn't been able to compete uh, 
or join any races since uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. But she's looking forward to competing in her first half Ironman in October of this year. Um, and that'll a, be in Portugal. A, a triathlon. Yeah, it's a triathlon. Um, her daughter will be doing the swimming portion. She will do the bike portion. And then um, a friend of her daughter's is doing the swim, the, uh, sorry, the running portion. Huh. Wow. That is uh, super impressive. And meanwhile, in the years since the past 25 years, do we have a sense? I saw the photos, uh, the photo of all of her medals and things on the wall. How many marathons did she run over the course of that time? About, I want to say 45. My goodness. Uh, yeah, she's she's very just positive, a positive person. And that's what she wanted to um exude and it's definitely what what you get when you meet her and she said that the gift of running was one of the best gifts her son ever got her yes that was so touching um she said that it's it's sort of it's a it's a space where you can kind of just let everything go away and you're just running and you know, she everywhere she's gone, she travels quite a bit with her family and every, everywhere she goes, she ends up sort of running into a competition, a race. Um, and it's not about, you know, winning or coming in first. It's just sort of doing it and meeting the people that are also participating. Wow. What a great story. And uh, congratulations to Anita. You also talked to a hundred year old Florence Hamilton. Tell us a little bit about Florence. Yes, I had the super fun opportunity of speaking with Florence and her granddaughter. And she is just <laughs> she's a spitfire. So, yes, she turned 100 this year and she's originally from Kansas City, Missouri, but, you know, just family and, and work and stuff. She ended up in New Mexico and she she is part of multiple groups, actually, that tell stories in town. And so the idea is she's sharing, you know, some of her own personal stories as well as, you know, other other stories of a lot of civil rights stories going back to um, like the 60s and and women and and the fight for rights uh, for black people as well. And so the idea is to share these stories so that younger generations or, um, you know, any any group really is still informed and, you know, aware of the history going forward and aware of, you know, how uh, how things are going currently and how it kind of matches up with what's happened in history. How did you uh, come to learn about Florence? So I am friends with her granddaughter, actually, and I had seen her post a couple of things about her grandmother and she just she she seemed like she was just uh, a fun, energetic, 100 year old woman, you know, and um, I knew that she had been um, she had just turned 100 and I wasn't able to sort of profile her at that point. And, you know, 100 years, that's a lot of time and a lot of a lot of time to to collect her own story. So I wanted to talk with, to her and sort of uncovered her role in the community with sharing not only her stories, but, but others. 
one of the uh, <laughs> funniest parts of of uh, the story that you shared was uh, when you asked her about her her secret to longevity. Didn't she say something like, "God must have just uh, lost my phone number or something"? Oh, that was when Nathan talked to her. Oh, okay. That was yeah. He he was there when um, they celebrated her birthday, and he got some photos. And yeah, she said. You know, he must have <laughs> he must have lost my number or something like that. But she's still super active. You know, when I was talking to her, she her phone was ringing off the hook. Um, so everybody's trying to trying to get in touch with her. The storyteller group in town recently started telling stories again in person. And she was their first um, member to get back, get back going on that. So. Yeah, she's she's not going anywhere anytime soon. Fantastic. That's uh, that's great news. Um, Lynn Barrett just moved to Las Cruces. She suffers from dissociative identity disorder and recently wrote a book about it. Tell us about Lynn. Yes. Um, so Lynn wrote a book called Crazy. And she is, like you said, a recent Las Cruces. She moved from New York State. And it was uh, that sort of um, move to Las Cruces that her, you know, her PR person kind of got in touch with me. But her story struck me as, as interesting. I had never heard of dissociative identity disorder. Um, so I was curious about it and I figured, you know, if I was, other people would be too. And Lynn was super, super happy to talk and, and share her own story. So she explained that like dissociative identity disorder or DID is when your, your mind dissociates from what's going on physically and everybody does it you know when you're sort of daydreaming looking out the window at you know whatever's going on outside you're kind of you leave your body and you are outside with you know the kids playing soccer or whatever you're looking at like that but that's a mild form that's a, a sort of mini form the disorder often comes or stems from abuse happening as a child so you know child abuse childhood child trauma sexual abuse. yeah exactly so as this child is experiencing the trauma they their mind dissociates it's protecting them from what's going on and a lot of the time she explained is that the mind it's almost like two people the the child who is being abused and the child who has no idea that this abuse is going on and their mind is protecting them that way. And the issue becomes or becomes an issue when the child grows up and becomes an adult and the um, the dissociations start making themselves apparent. So, you know, the, the, the child who is being abused may not have been aware of the abuse because the part of them in their mind is not was like sort of tucked away. But now it's coming forward. And so she explained that she personally experienced sexual abuse when she was a child. And then she started as an adult having multiple voices in her head. And it was it was a struggle, but and she wasn't able to um, function, um, particularly when she was like at home. She was a, a teacher and she was able to she was fine. She was 
a, a great teacher. She was she was able to function in that capacity. But at home, she was kind of spiraling and having mental pain and struggling with uh, all of these voices and, and all of that coming out. So, yeah, so she ended up, you know, looking for therapy and, you know, and treatment and and all of that sort of thing. So working through that and finding a therapist who is familiar with it, um, it used to be called multiple personality disorder. Um, right. It's not anymore. But, you know, finding a therapist that fit for her and was aware of like what this disorder was, she was able to bring all of the voices out. She said that she, I believe it was about 20 core or 12 core parts, 20 sort of in all, but some of them were fragments and kind of got to know them. They all got to know each other <laughs> and put all of the pieces together of what happened when she was a child. That's got to be a really long process and yeah. a difficult one. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And she details it in her book. You know, the reader gets to know each part and and really get to understand what's going on there. And she said that she's still, you know, those parts are still there, but they're sort of dormant. They're not pushing to the forefront, I guess. Um, so it's not something yeah. that she, she deals with on a, a day-to-day basis in a way that is uh, debilitating. Right. It's still there every day, but it's not, you know, taking over her her life as it was it once was. So um, but she's very, you know, she's very interested in spreading awareness because a lot of people go misdiagnosed or undiagnosed with this sort of disorder and it can make you feel crazy. And so, uh, you know, hence the title. But she's very, you know, very open to talking about it, sharing her own experience, helping others, and um, that sort of thing. One of the reasons that I wrote my book was partly for people who have DID or think they might, but also for their therapists and their caregivers because um, it's so um, because we we are not possessed. People think we're possessed. Most of us are not violent. People think we're violent. Um, uh, so I, what I wanted to do was to make it um, a much it, it, people to help people understand it better. And I, I've had a lot of therapists who have thanked me for it because it, it gives a, a much clearer um, understanding of what uh, the disorder is all about. And again, you're right when you say. It will manifest differently in each person, but there are some things that are, are very similar. So almost everyone with DID feels unreal, and almost everyone with DID uh, experiences deep psychic pain, and almost everyone with DID has experienced some kind of um, uh, um uh, suicidal ideation, and I didn't mention amnesia. Almost everyone with DID has some kind of amnesia. It may it, that can look different in different people. So some people lose time in the here and now. Some people uh, can't remember large parts of their childhood or even adulthood. Um, some people have have complete amnesia between their parts, and other people have part their parts know one another <laughs> pretty well. So um, maybe that it helps to explain it. I think it's also important to point out that and to educate people that when you think of what used to be multiple personality disorder, it doesn't look 
in real life, it doesn't uh, typically look the way it, that it looks in movies. Right, exactly. It's very, it's, it, a lot more people have it than you would um, expect. And it's not something that it should be sort of taboo. Um, it's not, you know, this person isn't actually crazy. It's, you know, it's a mental disorder and it um, is treatable. Fantastic. Now, Leah, you also spoke to Jenny Matzler, who uh, she's collected dozens of medals during her years involved with Special Olympics New Mexico. And now she's going to have a chance to compete at a national level. Tell us about her. Yes. Um, so it was several months ago I spoke with Jenny. And so Jenny has uh, Williams syndrome. So it's it's similar to Down syndrome in that it's a chromosomal disorder. But it it causes developmental delays and other medical problems. But she is uh, she's very high functioning. And so, yeah, she uh, a long time ago got involved with Special Olympics and, you know, being active. Um, And so she's competed in, you know, softball, basketball, swimming, um, bowling, bocce. And yes, she has collected quite a few. I want to say it was like 31 gold medals, 27 silver and three bronze. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. And she's super proud of them. In, in um, various, all sorts of different sports. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so currently she's training in bocce and she's getting ready to compete in Orlando in June as part of the Special Olympics New Mexico team. And there's there's several of them on the team as well. Um, and a couple from, I, I believe, another one from Las Cruces that'll be competing. But yeah, she's just she's ready to go. She is um, super excited and super enthusiastic about telling people about her her accomplishments and her her training and everything as as she should be. Um, so you said the uh, the nationals are coming up in June. Yep. They announced their team back in September, and they'll be traveling to Orlando in June. I hope that we can follow up with Jenny after it's over and find out how they did. Oh, absolutely. Uh, David Hill <laughs> summited Mount Kilimanjaro this year, and that's certainly impressive. But it's even more impressive because he tried a few years ago before the pandemic and uh not only didn't make it, but he suffered a debilitating injury while he was trying. T tell us about your conversation with David. Yes. So um, I spoke with David back, I want to say in December, actually, the end of December. And um, he was he's actually the owner of Ride On Sports um, in Crucis. And so he has been hiking, um, trail running for quite some time. And one of the goals that he'd had was Mount Kilimanjaro. And so, yes, he traveled to um, Tanzania in 2019 and uh, attempted <laughs> the, to summit. And um, so he, he wound up on a seven day path and about the fifth day he slipped and broke his leg so ended up having to um come down of, of all the places in the world you'd want to break a leg that is not 
one I would pick. Absolutely. Five days into a hike on one of the tallest mountains on the planet. <laughs> right, right. He said that it was like raining and the evacuation team wasn't able to get to them. So he had to like wait it out and kind of get to a lower elevation before they could airlift him out of there and evacuate. So, yeah. And then while everybody else was summiting, he was like sitting in the hospital. So, um, yeah, he ended up having to undergo surgery and, you know, he has a, a metal plate in his leg now and, you know, lots of physical therapy and all of that stuff. And in that time, you know, hit the pandemic hit. So uh, it was a lot of physical therapy and then just sort of getting back to training and doing what he loves in town. But he wasn't going to let that deter him from trying again. So, yes, he went up to um, went back to Tanzania this uh, last December and he um, was able to to summit. And he actually had the same uh, group of like locals who, um, you know, help with the like guides. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the same group of guides, basically. Um to go up with him and he was just, you know, full of energy. He went, he was like the first person <laughs> in the group. He was leading the pack basically and made it. So it was super fulfilling to sort of get up there after, after his injury, obviously. And also for like the, his family and, and the group of people that he was with and, you know, people, he was saying that, you know, he wasn't always active like this, but he ended up just, just going at it and, you know, getting in shape and getting fit. And it just took, you know, like walking down the block. And now he's, you know, walking up <laughs> Mount Kilimanjaro and, and other, and other sort of big, big trails like that. So he was, he was supportive of people, you know, looking to sort of get up off the couch and, and go. Um, and also he was a very big supporter of the local trails. He was like, you know, we, you don't have to go anywhere, you know, in the Messia Valley, there's, there's dozens of trails. Some, some of them people don't know about, and he's like, and they're world-class, honestly. So training here for Kilimanjaro wasn't, wasn't difficult. Yeah. You locals don't have to hop on a plane to Tanzania to, uh, get in a good hike. <laughs> we've got, we, we've got some pretty, pretty good sized mountains, uh, to, if you feel like climbing them. Absolutely. <laughs> um, now, not necessarily part of the uh, Hometown Hero series that we've been discussing so far, but you also recently reported on Brian Frias uh, and his pooch, Blaze It, who, who wears sunglasses around town and has kind of become something of a, a local icon. People see him all over town. Tell us about Brian and, and Blaze It. Yes. So um, Blaze It is a five-year-old uh, American pit bull. And yes, he he and his owner, Brian, are often seen like downtown, walking around, driving around. And um, so what 
Brian told me was that, you know, he was just sort of walking with his dog one day and he was wearing his sunglasses and he sort of looked down and saw that Blazit was squinting, you know, looked like they were walking right into the sun. He was squinting and he was like, oh, no, like, no, come on, like, let's let's try these on you. And so after a couple of, <laughs> of you know, bla- tries Blazit, uh, got it and figured out, no, I don't take these off. Um, and he he shook, a, shook them off a, a time or two and then yeah. got used to it and, and not only kept them on, but he, he kind of would wear them all the time now. Right. Absolutely. Um, he goes to work every day with Brian and he's got his sunglasses on. He's got different kinds of sunglasses. So he's cha- like, you know, they change with his little mood. <laughs> um, but he's the friendliest guy. And Brian said that they get stopped all the time to take pictures and just to kind of um, people want to meet Blaze it because he's uh, he's a cool guy. He sounds like a cool guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leah, before we let you go, this this hometown heroes series is part of a larger project that the Sun News rolled out this year. And we do a different sort of story each Monday of the month. Kind of walk us through those and tell us what the idea is behind that. Sure. Yes. So we started it um, the beginning of this year. And the idea was to spotlight people and businesses in the community. So the first Monday of the month, it's our citizen of the month or the hometown hero. Um, And then we go on to hidden gems. So that could be a a business that doesn't get maybe quite as much recognition um, as others around town or, um, you know, that sort of that sort of. exciting little 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 uh places that might get overlooked uh yeah, give us yeah. an example of some of those that you've done um for sure so i recently profiled um el guapo taco so that's the food truck that was sort of popping up on baton memorial and there was just like a big taco sign out there and everybody was kind of like what's going on what's what <laughs> what's happening over there and so yeah they were they just sort of popped up found a spot and now they they've been operating there um another would be the blue moon so that's a bar and grill out way out in um radium springs and that one's particularly a a hidden gem because it's so far out of the way of you know central las cruces but it's hopping it's it's super popular. It's um, revamped, so it's nice and new and, and exciting in there. And they also have a lot of live mu- music, actually, each weekend. So that one that one was kind of fun to sort of uh, bring a little bit more attention. And it's a nice little drive out there to uh, to a kind of a local watering hole. Yeah, if you take if you take Valley um, all the way all the way out to Radium Springs, it is a nice drive down through the, yeah. the the fields. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So yeah, like those sort of those sort of little hidden gems. Um and then so the third Monday of the month I do a business profile. And those can be just about anything. I've profiled uh the bean at Josefinas. So the bean expanded to uh, a second location this year. And 
I sort of caught up with the owner and talked to him about, you know, like what's going on and, and what are the plans? So that was a fun profile. Um, I also profiled Venice Beach Bagel, who, you know, he's, he's a guy that makes bagels out of his home. Also a really interesting story. Another really interesting story. Um, And he's another one that's super full of life and and excitement. And he's just all about the bagels. So, you know, the the business profiles are a little less specific. They can be new businesses. They can be um, more established businesses. And, um, you know, it just kind of changes to what I'm I'm looking for each month. Um, And then so the fourth Monday of the month are local landmarks. And those give those stories give recognition to places around town, businesses, hiking trails, you name it, that are sort of staples in the community. Um, so my the first one I did was the Donian Arch, and that's a hiking trail. And I had actually never um, done that either. So getting out there, getting in the desert, you know, that that one was fun. And then, you know, other ones have been the Fountain Theater in Mesilla. And which has the, been around for 120 years. Exactly. Something, so, something like that. The, something like the that. building has, I think. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's changed hands and it's done different things, but it's been a theater for a very long time. And it's now the home of the Missy Valley Film Society. And, you know, it it now screens like cool indie films, maybe films that don't get quite as much recognition as those like sort of blockbuster movies you would find. Um, So that one was that one's definitely uh, a big one. I saw I saw The Godfather there uh, about 10 years ago, maybe eight or 10 years ago. And just the experience of being able to see it on the big screen was definitely something to remember. Oh, absolutely. And it's it's such a fun little niche theater. Um, And I, I feel like now more people are finding out about it. So it's, you know, it's always packed and, and all of that stuff, but it's, it's always kind of fun to just grab a little bag of popcorn and sit with, you know, your fellow film buffs and watch, you know, a, a independent film or a foreign film or whatever it is that they have. Sure. That week. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those, those are the sort of topics of each week. And the idea is to just, you know, get the community talking about, what is in the community. And, um, you know, I'm also always open to suggestions. It's um, sometimes a little bit hard to kind of nail it down to which business I want to profile or which hidden gem to feature this month. Um, And so the idea is to kind of get people talking and, and, you know, as I see more suggestions pop up, I, maybe that's the thing that I'll profile next. And this month, uh, <laughs> this month has five Mondays. So uh, I think we should give you the fifth Monday off. Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> that is that is what we have done. I forget what month had a had five weeks before, but yep, that's what we do. So we'll have a week off, and then we'll be right back to to Citizen of the Month in June. Excellent. Well, Leah. Thanks again for taking some time to talk to us and and share your reporting with us this week. Absolutely. I'd love to do it. Thank you so much.
Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Reporter's Notebook. We also have a newsletter sharing reporter stories about, well, about how we report stories. You can find all of these stories and the rest of our reporting in the Las Cruces Sun News. A huge thanks goes out to Leah for joining us this week. Also, you can find this podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. This has been the Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News. I'm your host, Damian Willis. This week's podcast was written and produced by me. You can find all our local reporting brought to you daily by reporters who live and work in Las Cruces at www.lcsun-news.com for all of us at The Sun News. Thanks for listening.